Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. B-F-F-T. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, our next guest uh, covers Oregon State. Uh, Angie Machado does a fantastic job. She's been on that beat for years. Did a great job last season covering a 10-win season and the subsequent uh, wins, I guess, in the recruiting offseason. DJ Uyunglele coming to town. A lot of excitement about Oregon State as they will head to a uh, big-time game against San Jose State. I say big-time because it's a really important game. I want to punch up Angie Machado. Can you punch her up for me, Stephen? Angie, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. You First of all, let's start with the football game. How... Like yeah. how how into this game? How excited by this game are you? I you know super excited. I I've, I've talked to several people who you know kind of thought it's weird Oregon State opening on the road against San Jose State, but I think Oregon State's going to be way more focused on a game like this as opposed to maybe opening with a, a Portland State or a, a UC Davis, which they have next week. Um, you know, big opponent, lots of coaches. You know, with with ties at San Jose State to Oregon State, so uh, we find to see some good faces, some familiar faces there, and. Um, you know, they have some film after watching the uh, Spartans take on USC last week. Give me an idea because DJ wins the starting job. Did you see that coming all the way? Did you think at some point maybe Aiden Childs had a shot or was it DJ's job to lose all the way in your mind? I, I think it was his, his job to lose, but I, I think what Aiden did was really, you know, open some eyeballs. And, you know, I said all along that Aiden would be QB2. I, I know Jonathan hasn't really put that as an or situation with Ben Goldbranson, but um, Beaver fans should be excited for, for the Aiden Childs, but you know I think DJ just brings such a, a veteran poise, leadership, knows how to run a program, and uh, she's got just great size too. I mean, you see that guy, and he's going to give Oregon State some you know different looks on the offense as far as being able to run, pass, um, that run game. Oregon State's going to be a very multidimensional offense this season. All right, so they get this game Sunday. Uh, my friend John Wilner thinks it's a trap game. I don't agree with that. I think, you know, no, they, how could that be a trap game? It's week one, you know, of the college football season. Oregon State's got a chip on its shoulder from all this this nonsense that's gone on with realignment. But uh, do you think there's any risk that San Jose State, having played a game at home, does it create a dicey situation? I think the first half could maybe be a little squirrely, just, you know, Oregon State trying to get their legs under them you know, the whole game speed, but I, I don't see this being a trap game at all. Um, I, I think Oregon State wins, but I, I do think the first half could be a little closer than, than some Beaver fans may want it to be. Angie Machado with us. Beaver Blitz is the website she runs, owns and operates. It's a 24-7 site. Angie, give me an idea. The reaction today, Stanford and Cal are out. We, we talked to Jim Moore in Seattle about the Washington State side of things. What did you think of Oregon State today, their performance, and kind of where they ended up? I guess it's not surprising. Um, we've kind of been seeing the writing on the wall here for a while um, just with what's going on. I, I, I do think Cal and Stanford basically sold their soul. I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a good fit. I don't think it's a, it makes much sense um, from a lot of different perspectives. But 
Um, they must have not seen any, you know, viability to stick with it. Um, I, I just think, I mean, like Cal, what, what is Cal like getting like 30% for seven years? This thing's going to be blown up again in three. Um, so I, I think, and I, and I think where it's going is SEC and Big Ten want to obviously have some super conference. That's going to leave the Big 12 ACC. I think they're trying to scramble to get anybody they can because they'll be poached soon enough. I, I still don't see it being um, maybe the wisest thing for the Big 12 not to take Oregon State and Washington State, but obviously none of this has made sense. So, um, I mean, if you're looking at it from a making sense standpoint, I could see the Big 10 taking Oregon State and Washington State, Cal and Stanford, and novel idea, you know, have a, a West and an East division and have the champions play in the, the Rose Bowl, but None of this makes sense, John. So um, Oregon State's looking for something. Give me an idea of what you think the move is, it, it, because I keep looking at, you know, what moves do they have available? And, uh, you know, it's it's like, you know, they're not great decisions, but is the move a merger with the Mountain West? Is it is it, uh, you know, a rebuild, taking some Mountain West and creating a division? Um, you know, what's your feeling based on people you're talking with and what the right move is for Oregon State? Well, I, I asked the question today on the on the press conference, and it never got asked, but I hope Oregon State and Washington State have lawyered up because I honestly think there potentially could be some, some litigation there. I think Apple definitely has the case as far as collusion by ESPN and Fox to maybe keep Apple out of, of the Pac-12 or out of, out of the college football market. I hope that's happening behind the scenes. Um, a Mountain West merger, a Mountain West anything, anything you slice and dice with a Mountain West is going to be a death penalty for Oregon State and Washington State. Um, as far as what we know now, there's no way that they're going to be able to uh, sustain the coaching staffs, the the recruiting budgets um, to to make that viable. I mean, what's what's Mountain West like in the five to eight million a year range? That barely covers the football coaching salaries. Um, they, if I'm them, I'm trying anything I can to somehow get an invite to the Big 12. I think that's really, I think it's a long shot, but I think it's the only true case that Oregon State could remain somewhat viable and, and try to, you know, eke in a 15 to 20 million a year type of payday. But um, it, it appears that that's going to happen. Although we say that, and I mean, this has changed 57 times in the past three weeks. So that would be, I think, best case scenario. Um, because any kind of litigation is going to drag on for years. But um, no, I, I don't see a huge windfall coming. I don't see, um, you know, Oregon State, Washington State really landing anywhere but potentially merging. And I, I say merging, you have to keep that Pac-12 name for what it brings to the table as far as, you know, potential auto bids. You know, there's some talk, could Oregon State and Washington State have enough money to maybe go independent for a couple years? Maybe. Um, but who are you going to play? I mean, who, how do you schedule that and how does that look? Um, but, you know, Scott Barnes has had ample time here to uh, to figure some things out. Hopefully there's more going on than that what, we, what we're hearing about. Give me an idea that, that Zoom today, because they didn't allow questions. And my sense was they were nervous and being told by lawyers, we don't want to answer questions that would potentially open you up, uh, you know, to some legal things that they're trying to plot with when it comes to uh, the Pac-12. But how weird was that to submit a question in writing and then hope they pick your question? And whose questions were they picking? I, yeah, I don't know. And they were just kind of, they were total softball questions. I mean, I asked like four. Um, you know, I wanted to know if they're still talking with the Big 12. 
Um, I wanted to know if Oliver Luck is still in the equation, trying to help them find a landing spot. And yeah, I mean, have they retained legal counsel? I didn't think that was a, you know, it's not giving too much away. It's pretty much yes or no question. Um, and the questions they were asked came from, I think, media members that are not following this at all, or just total softball questions. So um, I, I, it's a tough spot, right? I mean, on Beaver Blitz and the Lodge, there's been a lot of question or you know discussion about that was kind of it was lame. And I mean, it's the best way to say it. Like, why did they even do it? But if they don't come out and say anything, then it's why aren't they talking? So, I mean, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Um, but for those of us who have been following this, it really gave us nothing um, except this trying to be a positive spin. And I get it. You know, you're trying not to spook recruits. But the longer this plays out, the, the worse it is for both Oregon State and Washington State, their 2024 recruiting classes. Um, you don't want it to be a distraction for the 2024 team or 2023 team. I mean, because by all intents and purposes, this team this year could be a really special year, and you you want those guys to be focused on the here and now. But you know they're getting calls. They're getting they're there have to be fielding calls from other programs trying to recruit some of these guys away. Is the bigger risk in your mind the recruiting hit, or is it does Jonathan Smith stick around if they're in the Mountain West? You know, I, I, I don't see how we can. I mean. Just and he's going to be having overtures. The whole coaching staff, and you know, Jonathan's great in what he does, but he wouldn't be where he is without you know Coach Mahalacek, Coach Bray, um, you know, the coaches that he's been able to attract and that consistency. So, how does he keep the strength coach? How does he keep when you might be bringing in as as a school a program four to four to five million dollars a year um, in TV revenue? I, yeah. I just don't see how. And then and then your your best, you know, Oregon State has got. They're not getting the four and five star guys. They they get a four four star every once in a while, but they've done really well building with a upper level three star guy. Those guys aren't going to necessarily choose Oregon State if they're playing in a lesser division. It's you know there's just not, you know Oregon State has had a claw and scratch for a long time. They kind of feel like they've got to this point where they're there. And now the rug's been pulled out from them. And and I don't want to put the blame on Scott Barnes or, or you know the powers that be. But I mean, this has been a long time coming. And this is this can go back to the presidents, who, you know, for years they were hanging their hats on this whole academic prestige. You know, Stanford, Cal, USC, um, and kind of having this opinion of themselves. I mean, USC blocked BYU and, and some of these other programs that. You know, to be honest, Pac-12 should have expanded several years ago, taken some of these more, you know, a BYU has a built-in audience, would have done a lot to kind of shore things up. And instead it was we can't align with any religious institution. We can't align with anyone who's not a, you know, a tier one research institution. And here we are today. Angie Machado, Beaver Blitz. This season could be special. You hit it. Stadium's opening. West Side's going to be open. Team that could win it uh, or or go to Vegas and get to the conference championship game. Will this hang over the season in your mind? Because people are always going, but what is, what's the future? How long will Aiden be here? How long will Jonathan be here? Or is there anything that could be done that would erase that? I think the sooner the better that they find a home. Of course, you don't want to just jump and say, okay, we're joining the Mountain West. We're going independent if there's still a shot out there. And what what stinks about this whole thing is the conferences aren't even making the decision. It's all being done by TV execs. So, um, you know, there's little say, and that can change on a whim. 
I, I think when you look at it, fans are going to have a lot of questions. I think the kids do, the student-athletes do, but honestly, you know, Jonathan Smith, you can say a lot of things about him, but he's so even keel. And I think in a situation like this, it will help this team because he'll be able to kind of keep them um, – He's not super emotional, so he he will be able to keep them focused. It it could be a big year for for the Beavs. So, um, you know, I think they do have a us against the world mentality right now, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna go out. Like I said, I think Jonathan Smith is probably the best possible scenario for this team right now to keep them focused on you know the game at hand. What do you expect week one game one from DJ? I you know I think he's gonna be solid. I. I think he's he's really settled down a little bit from what we saw in the spring where we, you know, one day we'd see him overthrow guys, the next day we'd see him underthrow, but he's spent all summer working with, with the uh, receivers. I think he's he's got it nailed now. What we saw in camp um, during the scrimmages, he won the scrimmages by a long shot. So um, I, think, I think fans will be excited because this is not going to be a, a Damian Martinez show. You're going to see a little more, you're going to see more passing, and you're going to see DJ run the ball more too. So... Um, it, it's going to be a way more wide open offense, and not just a you know run the ball kind of thing. I'm excited to see that because I think they got a they got kind of a a knock on them. Although I think it it was impressive what they did, mostly running the ball last year. They got the knock on them as hey you're one dimensional, you can't take the step to the next level. If DJ can make some of those plays, they become really interesting, and and then you know we can nitpick the wide receivers or something else. Um, is there a concern anywhere on this team for you? Yeah, you know, secondary, I think, is a question, just because they lost such veteran leaders with Alex Austin and, and Jaden Grant, you know, moving on. I, I, I love Jaden Grant, and it felt like he was there for, like, 25 years. You know, he's just <laughs> such a, a stalwart back there and, and such a good leader. But Katano Ladapo is, is a leader, Jaden Robinson. I, I think those guys might take, you know, a game or two. They, they might take their hits. But where I, you know, I have – beat the drum for probably 10 years that Oregon State's D-line has been a, a big question mark. And, and for the first time in a long, long time, the D-line is going to be the strength of the defense. And so that's exciting. You know, James Rawls looks really good. True freshman Thomas Collins looks good. Um, yeah, I think, I think you know, Drew Chatfield is going to, you know, get to the quarterback a little more. That was, you know, a knock the past couple of years is is the pass rush. And I think, I think it's going to look better. But I, I do think, you know, that strength in the D-line is really going to help kind of let that secondary get their legs under them for those first couple games. And um, But that would be, you know, that and probably the kicking game. I mean, there's some question marks there. But, um, you know, I think the rest of the offense is good, offensive line. And Oregon State doesn't have the luxury that some schools do as far as depth. I mean, this this is a team I have going to Vegas to play USC in the Pac-12 championship game. And a lot has to go their way, but um, I think they can do it. It's funny I picked that same matchup. I I, I just you? think yeah I did because I like their schedule. Just I look just look at the schedule. Yeah, yeah. You look at the schedule. I just and, I, and I, I Utah at home. Yep. Washington at home. UCLA at home. Because I lined I'm, up. I'm still not sold on Oregon. Yeah, I lined up Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, and I said, okay, if UFC is gonna, they're gonna get there. If who else gets there? And it to yeah. me it came down to Oregon and Oregon State, and I thought. Yeah. These are the two teams that I think have the clearest path. I can't see Washington getting through November cleanly. I think Utah, even though you know I'm in Utah today, I shouldn't say that. I'm in the, I'm in the KSL studios. They'll probably come rushing in and kick me out. But it, Utah's got two. They play everybody, and they have to go on the road yeah. to Oregon State. And they're just they're it's too it's dicey for them. They're at USC. It's 
There's too many hiccups. And so just by virtue of the schedule, I said, all right, I'll take Oregon State, USC. So Yeah, that uh, was me too. I mean, just looking at schedules, I, I had the same group, you know, the Washington, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State in that mix. And, yeah, schedule alone, I'm like, okay, well, I, I think having those home games. And, and Utah, early, Utah early in the season, although it's good last night, I'm not sold on Florida. I mean, obviously Oregon State crushed them last year at the last end of the season. So um, Utah will be tough, but I like playing them right out the gate. Students will be back in, you know, Friday night. Research is going to be rowdy. Angie Machado, Beaver Blitz, check her out there. I will see you in San Jose State's, uh, used to be Spartan Stadium, whatever they're calling it now. Angie, I'll see you in the press box. Sounds good. Thanks, John. All right, good stuff uh, from Angie Machado on Oregon State's predicament, their plight. Uh, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I was, you know, I obviously was in Rice-Eccles Stadium last night. It was a, By the way, it was a standing room only crowd. They sold 2,200 standing room only tickets. It's remarkable to me what Utah's done. And I know, Stephen, you were rooting against them because you were rooting with your bets. And you shouldn't be because that was an SEC team. But were you... A little bit surprised by how inept the Gators looked. I was, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm not the biggest Graham Mertz guy, but I had I had faith in Billy Napier, uh, their head coach, and they looked lost. And it came right at the get go. You know, Bryson Barnes' first play of the game for Utah play action deep pass touchdown. I mean, you, Florida was caught off guard with that, and then Florida offensively. I mean, you know, go back to just when they were in their heyday and how they're slinging the ball around. They're getting point like. They were not throwing the ball down the field at all. It was little screen passes, little dump-offs. I believe I saw a stat that Graham Mertz, you know, he threw for a career high in yards. He also had 12 passes that were screen passes or, like, little dump-offs behind the line of scrimmage. So it's not like he's throwing the ball down the field. It was everything else. So, yeah, I was surprised a little bit at Florida and how bad they looked in week one. And I think going forward for them, that's it's not a good look. But, you know, you got to give credit to Utah as well. Uh, that environment, like you said, John, even on TV, it played really well. So I can't even imagine what it was like down there at the actual stadium. But it played well on TV. And uh, those Utes, man, that defense looks stout once again. And I'm excited to see what they do when Cam Rising comes back. I do wonder now, now that they got this win over Florida, they're 1-0. Is it put a little more pressure to have Cam Rising play against Baylor and try to continue that winning streak heading into the Pac-12 and maybe think, hey, college football playoff could be uh, on the, on the uh, horizon? It, it puts all kinds of pressure on Utah the week two, but it's good pressure. Like if they lose to Florida, they don't have the pressure. But if they if they can beat Baylor, they are sitting in a position where they can start thinking about, hey, if we do what we think we can do in the conference schedule, I'm not saying they're going to do it, but they might think this. They are in a in a position where they can start talking about, hey, this lines up as a playoff possibility because. Beating Baylor at Baylor would be a solid win. It'd be, I think, as good or it'd be a better win than Oregon winning at Texas Tech. But you'd beat an SEC team. By the way, SEC team on the road going west of Texas, not faring well. That's what happens. That's why the SEC teams don't go on the road. I'm not saying that's going to happen if Alabama goes and plays Oregon State or Washington State. Don't at me. But it's just interesting to me to see Florida look so bad in the Vegas Bowl. And then, you know, they line, They have two number threes on the field at one point, a lot of procedural penalties, false starts, offsides. They were jumping around. They were lined up wrong, illegal motion. It's all the stuff Dan Landing was talking about. Like he said uh, uh, last week on the show, he said, I said, what are you looking for in this Portland State game? And he says, I don't want any penalties that are 
not between the whistles. And Florida was, you know, flags all over the place, between, you know, outside of the whistles. And, and that's mental mistakes, and that's coaching. It goes back to coaching for me. You know, it was 7-3 to three in the second quarter. Florida got the stop, forced a punt on Utah, and they got the procedural penalty. And then Utah goes down Nate Johnson, who, man, he, he is a fast guy there, John. You, you made mention <laughs> of that, but he zoomed into the end zone. Uh, took advantage of that first down that they got on the penalty, and it was 14-3, and it was over at that point. Like, Florida, they had kind of calmed down the storm, and, you know, getting the ball back, had a chance to take the lead or at least cut it to one, get that penalty, then uh, real quick touchdown by Utah. And it's those things, like you said, it's mental stuff, but that's that goes on coaching. And so, yeah, I mean, I think for Oregon, you look at Dan Lane, and he's, he's 100% right on that. And I think that's what you got to look for in week one when you're playing, you know, these, uh, not cupcakes, but when you're playing these games you're supposed to win. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. We're going to go through the Pac-12 games. We're going to look for upsets. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I took a step into the final Pac-12 football season last night at Rice-Eccles Stadium, but I wrote about some of the cool things that I've seen in that stadium over the years, including uh, 2014, Kalen Clay, the Utah wide receiver. You remember he had what what would have been a touchdown that would have given Utah a two-score lead that he dropped the ball and started celebrating before he got to the end zone. Oregon's Joe Walker picked it up, scooped it up, went 100 yards the other way for a touchdown, and... Oregon reeled off 24 unanswered points and won the game. Uh, Great memory there. I touched on some other memories that include Oregon, Oregon State, and Utah in particular. Uh, You can read it at johnconzano.com. My co-host on Conzano and Wilner, the podcast, John Wilner, is joining us now. We're going to break down some of the Pac-12 games. We're going to talk about the Stanford-Cal thing, Washington State, Oregon State, what they do next, all that business. Uh, Wilner, how are you doing, man? I'm good. Are you broadcasting like high over Southern Nevada here? I am in uh, KSL Studios. Ah, good for you. Salt okay, Lake City. Say hello to the guys at KSL for me. I will do that. I will do that. They're big fans of you. Uh, hey, let me ask you, Utah last night, were you surprised at how good Utah looked with about eight players who weren't starters starting? Uh, I got to be totally honest here. Uh, I didn't see most of the game. <laughs> I had my uh, kids back to school night. And, oh, that's good. Uh, she's a junior. It's a huge year for her. I chose the back to school night, so I got I got home. I taped the game, and I got home planning to watch it. And I chucked the score. And at that point, it was twenty four to eleven. And uh, so obviously Utah looked good, and Florida must have looked bad on offense. Uh, and I was going to plan on watching it today, but. I kind of got derailed today by some news. Yeah, let's all right. Let's unpack that news. It wasn't so exactly. Sorry, I can't, yeah, I can't. Keep no, it it's okay. Down there on Utah, unfortunately. It, it wasn't exactly a surprise that Stanford, Cal, and SMU go to the ACC. But you know, what is your? I guess your singular takeaway when you uh, when you look at Stanford and the travel they're going to have to make, and you know what has happened to college athletics. Give me your your one takeaway uh, as you look at what happened today. Well, it's just a symptom of the bigger aspect of the college sports world spinning off its axis, especially out here on the West Coast, right? And you'll wonder if 
if at some point in the next 10 or 15 years it's going to spin back onto its access or if this is the, the way it's going to be for, for a long time. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to have USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. It made a little bit more sense to have them in the Big Ten with Oregon and Washington. And it makes zero sense that Cal and Stanford are in the ACC, right? I mean, it's just it's it's bananas, and it is the main result of, of the Pac-12 not being able to, you know, get its business done. Uh, but it, it's just it's just bananas, and you wonder if if things are going to revert eventually, not only in the Pac-12 but but elsewhere around the country, or if we're going to continue down this path, and in ten or fifteen years there's really going to be a separation between the top 30 or 40 and everybody else in college football. And, and if they do a separation of the 30 and 40, what kinds of things do the schools in the next five to seven years all need to be thinking about? I mean, I think you got to be thinking about the playoff. The playoff is going to define, it's going to be a huge financial boon and it's going to define success. It's going to define the brands, I mean, obviously we know Ohio State and Alabama are big brands, but there's going to be a chance for other schools to get on that main stage fairly consistently. I mean, Utah is a great example, right? If Utah goes in the Big 12 and they get in the playoff, you know, every couple of years, that will elevate Utah's football program, Utah's athletic department. And then if there is separation in the 2030s, maybe Utah gets into that top group, right? So that's that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at. I think it's all about the playoff and doing whatever you can do resource-wise to position yourself to get in there. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News. Uh, you know, you're worried about Oregon State going to San Jose State on Sunday. Why are you so worried I about am. them? I just think teams that have already played, especially if they have played a good opponent, like San Jose State played USC, are you know, advanced compared to a team that's playing its season opener because you're going to have mistakes in your season opener, especially if you've got a new quarterback like Oregon State. And so San Jose State's going to be, I just think, a little bit more efficient, uh, execute a little better. And, I don't, you know, not that I don't think Oregon State can win, but I think it's going to be a tight game. And if the Beavers are... We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.